Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I'm here with Amanda. Amanda is actually a returning podcast guest. So if anybody wants to go back and listen to her previous podcast episode, I will link it up in the show notes. Amanda is a military veteran who served in the Air Force for six years as a civil engineer, including a deployment to Afghanistan. She traded in her combat boots for a diaper bag to stay home with her two boys and follow her husband's military career which currently has them stationed in Northern Virginia, which is a completely different part of Virginia than I'm at. (laughs) I know. It's really bummer. You know, people are like, oh, I'm moving to Virginia too, Megan. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Where? Oh, like near DC. I'm like, oh, that's like five hours. (laughs) Uh, Virginia actually can be quite, quite a little distance. Um, Her blog, Airmen to Mom, incorporates stories from her past military life and how she views life through her unique life experiences of both a veteran and military spouse, and she's going to be a soon be a podcast host of her very own podcast. So yeah. as soon as you launch that, I want to know so that I can let everybody know and they can tune into it. Um, you're going to be interviewing other female veterans, am I right? Yes, I've actually already started interviewing people and the launch date is scheduled for the early January. Yay! I'm so exciting. I love podcasting. We started, my husband and I started editing stuff last night. I was like, oh, this isn't as scary as I thought it would be. It's really not. And once you get used to editing, it will go like, now it takes me five minutes to edit a podcast episode. Unless, of course, there's a lot of like mistakes or a lot of like, uh, sometimes the the sound will be really wonky. Those take me way longer to edit. But most of them, I, I literally just edit a few spots and I'm done. It's, it's relatively easy. Once you get, once you get in the groove of it, you know, it takes time. So you are here to talk about, you got some help with a problem that you had recently. Do you want to take us back to that time where you realized there's something going on here and I might need some help with this? When I became a mom, it was a really hard transition to leave the military and become a military spouse and mom. And one of the things that I kind of had trouble controlling, but it really went to an extreme was my temper and like my frustrations. And I would like spin out of control and I couldn't even like stop myself or even realize what was going on. And so um, through a bunch of different events that kind of just directed me toward a path, I was able to get help with dealing with my anger and my frustrations and learning how to control that and stopping and thinking and not being the person that I used to be. What are some examples of the times that, like you mentioned, there were a few events that led you to saying like, hey, I really need to get some help with this anger issue that I have. What were, could you give us like an example or a couple examples of those kind of events? Well, my sister had been talking to um, me a lot about different things that she had been learning about, and a few other friends had just been sharing their life experiences of what was going on with them. And as they were able to change who they were and how their life was projecting forward, it kind of gave me hope. I think a long time I knew that I needed to get help, 
Um, I even went for help after I got home from my deployment, and the lady was like, you're fine. Just, you'll, you'll adjust eventually. And so I think that deep down, I knew there was something wrong. But then, like, I went to get help and was told, you're fine. So that was, like, a negative thing. And so I kind of felt like it just was... Not, like seeing that other people could have their lives change and like move forward made it so that I was like I'm not stuck there is something wrong because I know deep down that there's something wrong and that I shouldn't be losing my temper and acting this way when especially for my kids mm-hmm. I wanted to change their life um, by not te- teaching them the way that I was acting yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm so sorry that somebody told you you didn't need help. I, I've heard those stories many times and it breaks my heart as somebody who is eventually going into the psychology field that there are people out there saying you don't need help. I honestly think that if somebody's coming to a professional, there is something and there is a reason that they're coming to a professional and they right. do need help and guidance and nobody should be saying you don't. Cause if you feel like you need help, obviously there's something going on there. Um, but I love that you said that your, your sons are the reason that you are like, I need to change so that this doesn't keep repeating itself. Yes. Yes. And I think when you like go for your like initial interview to find out like if you need help, it's really hard to be like super vulnerable about everything that's going yes. on. And so I think the way I answered the question, she probably was like, you're fine. But deep down, if she would have kept digging, mm-hmm. then she would have found out that there was more to it and that. But I don't think anyone coming home from a deployment and feeling that there's something wrong. And if someone tells you you're fine, that's that's not true because part of the problem was is that I didn't deal with the things that happened while I was deployed because when you get home from a deployment you kind of are like pushed into this everything's fine you're home you should be happy like and but you go from like your life being in danger every day knowing that you could die because an IED or an incoming rocket or whatever the case may be and then you come home to America and you're safe but you it's like a switch in your head and if you don't go through and process that I feel like eventually years later it's going to come out in a negative way. Yeah and I think this is why a lot of uh, military personnel have PTSD because even if they haven't been in an active war zone where they're being shot at all the time it's that constant fear that something could happen. Um, Did you experience PTSD symptoms as well? I haven't really looked into like what exactly PTSD is, but I have had like flashbacks and dreams and mm-hmm. I purposely, so yes, I guess I do because yes. purposely <laughs> I won't do um, simulations that are warlike. I don't, I mainly avoid war movies um, because I know that if I do anything like that, I'm really afraid of having like a panic attack moment, like mm-hmm. the escape room. Someone's like, you want to go? And I was like, no, I don't want to be tra- trapped in a room. Right. That, just goes, like, that just gives me anxiety. Um, and I know that I, I might be fine, but I don't know if I will be fine. So I've made choices to protect myself in that way. And whenever I watch something that's too um, close to home, I usually have a dream about it in like a weird, a weird dream that doesn't really make any sense, but still like being back in a war zone, which is never fun. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that does sound like there might be some PTSD there. I, we have learned and touched on it in that my psych classes that has a lot to do with, you know, flashbacks, anxiety, panic attacks that have to do with your time in the military. But it, people who are listening, I don't want them to think it's just military related. I actually had PTSD after leaving my abuse relationship. So anytime um, my husband, my husband now who did not abuse me would raise his voice I would like start to have a panic attack. Um, seeing my ex would make me spiral out of control. There was a lot of things that I've had to work through. And now I can, my husband could raise his voice and I'm fine. I can see my ex and I'm fine. But there were like three to four years in the beginning that I had those PTSD type symptoms before I uh, sought out therapy because you do when you're in that kind of situation where you're feeling like your life is on the line, it can cause some really traumatic things to happen inside your brain. Our brains are amazing, but also they do weird things to try to protect us. And sometimes it doesn't quite work out that way. Um, So I don't know, did they say when you, let's start with where you got the help. Where did, where'd you find it? What was it like? Take us through that. Um, I started going to a program called Celebrate Recovery. It's a lot like Al-Anon or Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's a faith-based program. Um, And they tackle hurts, hang-ups, and habits. So pretty much anything that you're struggling with. And so they would have like a big group time where they would focus on the 12 steps because they're the exact same 12 steps that are in the AA program. And so they would have like a speaker or a testimony based on those steps or part of those steps. And then we would break out and do um, where you would share just whatever's on your mind and listen to the other people. And they had us broken up into people who are dealing with um, recovering drug addicts and alcoholism on one side. And then the other side was kind of just like a general... um, people and so we would identify the things that we were struggling and then we would hear from other people who were either struggling with the same thing or different thing but you could always relate to what they were talking about and um, just going to that program helped me not feel so alone and going through the steps helped me find healing. Yeah. I mean, it is proven that group therapy, kind of like you're describing, can be really helpful, as well as the AA program. They um, talk about how it is not just the 12 steps, but it's having not that feeling like you're not alone, like you have other people with you. That's really important. What were some of your aha moments during this? Like maybe some things that came up, you're like, holy moly, (laughs) I didn't realize that was going on there. Well, the First meeting, I tried, I had to convince myself that I needed to go. That was like the hardest part. So the first time I tried to go, I like got in the car and then I talked myself out of going. And then the second week I was like, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to drive. And so I just drove and I went. And when we did the breakout section, I just started bawling. And so it was kind of like, I finally realized I was in the right place, that I had found the right place and that there was a path towards healing so that was probably like one of the biggest moments was like crying because I don't cry very often and especially in front of strangers um so that was one of the biggest moments and then just 
through doing the program and being able to like, like I would get angry and just start yelling and throw like throw things. It's embarrassing to talk about, but but it happened. Um, I mean, I don't want you to diminish what was happening to you because I mean, it really happened, and sometimes we don't have control over what's happening. Right. So I mean, and I was able don't to be too hard on yourself. Okay. It's just like it's hard to talk about, but I know yeah. how important it is to talk about. Um, but I would just be like out of control and. I would actually be able to like stop myself as I was like in the middle and not at the end because usually I would like spin and then all of a sudden like I'd be worn out and so then I would stop but I was able to stop myself and I would each time would be earlier and earlier and even like this week I was upset this morning I just like came out of bed the wrong way or maybe it's because it's 6 30 in the morning my children are screaming I don't know (laughs) but I was really upset and I was acting kind of mean which nowhere like I wasn't yelling or acting crazy but I was able to stop and be like what is your problem like calm down take a five second break and then I was able to like reattack the day apologize to my son for being so snippy with him and move forward and that's like a complete 180 of what I was doing before Yeah, I love that you said apologize to your son, because I think a lot of people overlook how important it is that we apologize to our kids when we do something wrong. I've heard adults say like, well, I don't need to apologize to my kids. Well, you do, because especially if you want them to learn that if they do something wrong, they should apologize for it. And they learn through our behavior. And by apologizing to your son, you're showing him he is important. You know, it wasn't okay what you did. And that he deserves an apology because he's a human being. And, you know, it it, it could be something small. Like you said, you weren't screaming or yelling or throwing things, but you were snippy. And I think sometimes adults let their egos get in the way of actually apologizing to little children. Yeah, because I don't want him to think that it's okay to act like that. And so the only way I feel like I can teach him, like, that's not okay is by saying, like, mommy wasn't acting nice. I'm sorry. And I love you and that sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. So what would you say were the things that helped you the most in the program that you're going through? Like what were the things that were most, um, were most helpful? Yes. I was looking for another word, but it didn't pop in my head to you. (laughs) I think the group sessions were the most helpful. Um, Hearing from other people, making friends with people who were, that I could be, totally honest about what I was going through because I feel like maybe it's just a woman thing or maybe it's an everybody but it's hard to talk about um these types of things especially like when you're going through it and you're Mm -hmm. in the really ugly part but to be able to like share how I was feeling or how how I was going through um and having someone who was like me too, or like I went through that similar type of situation because we had to have cross talk at the end. Cross talk means you can talk to each other because when you yeah. when you share, nobody's supposed to touch you or throw a tissue at. Like you're just supposed to let you feel the emotion so that you can get whatever's in you out. And I liked that part of it where you could just share whatever was going on and you knew you weren't going to get interrupted and that you had people listening to what you had to say. Yeah, I find sharing is the most therapeutic thing for me. A lot of people 
think have said to me like, oh, you're so vulnerable. I'm like, it wasn't always like that. It's been hard. Like um, my suicide attempt, I realized this morning, I said it on podcast episode I recorded or something five years ago, like September was my five-year anniversary since I um, tried to commit suicide. And that's been five years of me uh, going through therapy and sharing these bits and pieces of my life. And at first it was really, really hard, especially to admit to the things that I had done that there are a lot of shame around, but it's been very therapeutic to share that and get it out there and be like, okay, I did it. And, and you know, it wasn't there. The whole world didn't burn down. My house didn't come down on my head. People don't hate my guts. I actually got a lot of people who were like, wow, I can't, I'm so sorry that you went through that, you know, where they actually had empathy and sympathy for me. And I was like, okay, it's okay for me to be human. And then I went through these things and it's, it's really helped with my healing process to be able to share. So I'm glad that you found that in what you went through as well. That was really cool. Yeah, I think, I think I learned that I give others grace like immediately, but I'm not that way with myself. And so being able to talk about those things and getting grace from people who, you know, like I would, had I told someone about, or had someone told me what I had gone through, I would just be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, what can I do to help you? I wouldn't be like, you're an evil person. (laughs) But I think we, for some reason, we're very hard on ourselves and it's Mm -hmm. really hard to get, that's why it's hard to do it alone or impossible because you, you don't forgive yourself and you hold yourself to a standard that's almost impossible, not almost, it's impossible. And so that makes it really hard. And that's why I think the group part really helped. Yeah. And you've been more vulnerable in your blog as well. Has that helped you? Yes. I, yes. Sharing my, I wrote an article in May about um, my mental health struggles and I've gotten so much positive feedback and support and I was really afraid to talk about it because it's hard to talk about and I didn't know what the reaction would be. Um, so yes, that's been, that's been really helpful and it kind of pushes you to just keep being more vulnerable because the responses that you get from people are so important. Um, so yeah. Yeah. You don't feel as alone because you realize oh, other people have gone through this too. Have you found any other veterans or female veterans that have experienced the same kind of anger um, issues that you've been experiencing? I haven't met any female veterans. I actually don't know a lot of female veterans. Uh, I was just reading an article about how women who have served in the military are kind of invisible to the world because... Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of female veterans don't self-identify themselves as veterans. And so the only really female veterans I know are the ones that I served with, but I have had a few reach out on my blog. Um, a lot of women who are still in, who are trying to decide if they want to leave the military. And so, but they haven't talked about anger issues, more about the struggle of leaving the Air Force or staying in or whatever branch they're in. Yeah, we've actually, I've actually had quite a few female veterans on the podcast. I want to say there's been at least 10 on the podcast. And I find it so 
fascinating how diverse, you know, the female veterans are, you know, some stayed in, I've had a couple that have stayed in and actually retired at 20 years. Some got out at four, some stayed in for like 10 or 12. And there's such a variety, like there is on the male side, but like you said, female veterans are very overlooked and I would not have known that they were military veterans, except they put it in their bio. And I'm like, I had no idea. Like I've known you how long and I, because they don't really talk about it. Kind of like guys, guys talk about it. You know, men who are veterans, they talk about it, but women kind of like keep it quiet. Yes. Well, and people, when they find out that you're a veteran, it's happened to me that I've been with my husband and they found out we were both veterans. And then they asked him about his military service and they didn't ask me one question. And so um, it's not like a perception. It's like reality is that women are overlooked and kind of forgotten about. And it's really funny because my husband hasn't deployed and I mean, he has a cool job, but his story <laughs> is like, I go to an office every day. Like, and so it's just, it was really, I was telling my husband about that experience. I was like, you probably didn't even notice that she didn't, or he didn't ask any questions of me. And he was just like, nope. So it, it's just the way that it is. And that's part of why I'm starting the podcast because I want to share the stories of women who've served in the military and give them a place and a voice to share those experiences. Exactly. Now, did you notice that your anger while you were in the military or did that develop after you got out? It was more after I would occasionally get mad um, and yell a little bit when I was on active duty, but never like at work. It was more just like at home when I was like frustrated with like family life, but it wasn't like the spinning. It was just like, you know, normal husband and wife fighting type of thing, but it wasn't like the crazy out of control um, where I didn't, where I, I could, I didn't realize it when I was doing it, but when I started going to get help, I could like feel my body doing things and like I knew my like I was in no control I had no control of what was going on and that didn't happen until after I got out of the military. Do you think that it was your separation from the military that triggered that or was it perhaps your deployment what what do you think was like the turning point where you started with the spinning? Uh, Well when my son I got out of the military right around the time my son was born and two months after he was born my husband left for eight weeks and it was like I was losing my identity of being in the military I was being a mom for the first time not doing a very good job at least I didn't feel like it and it was just all those things combined that I think pushed um what I'd been like keeping under the radar to the forefront because I think it was like all those things combined that were like the perfect storm to bring it out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially if you are, are identifying so much with, you know, being a military veteran and now you, you're not even like transitioning to a career. You're transitioning to be a stay at home mom, which is already a thing that when women become a stay at home mom, we tend to lose our identities anyways. I did when I was a stay at home mom, I, I mean, my mental health 
problems were the highest when I was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, my suicide attempt was actually when I was a stay-at-home mom because now I, I no longer knew who I was. I had lost myself in being a mom. I didn't have a lot of uh, connections, like community connections in, you know, in the beginning. So I didn't have people to talk to. It was very isolating and really hard. So I can definitely see how that would have triggered you because it triggered me, but in a different way. It's like all those things. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think a lot of people overlook that because I hear a lot of times people say really negative things about stay-at-home moms, but they don't realize how hard it is because it can be very isolating. It can be like, you don't know who you are. All you are is a mom. And like, as much as that's awesome, it's hard because you're like, who am I? What do I stand for? Uh, It wasn't until I started my first business that I was like, started to find myself again, you know? Uh, So when was the time that you started to find yourself again? I think it was, it was a slow process. I started writing a blog as like a hobby type of thing. And I like, couldn't really figure out what I wanted to write about. I was certain I did not want to write about military stuff (laughs) because um, I really struggled with when I talked about if I was, if I talked about my military history. So when I talked about my past military experiences, and then I was a mom, I felt like if I talked about the past experiences of my military, I was like trying to go back and live in the glory days, instead of realizing like, I'm still a military veteran, and I'm a mom. And if I talk about both those things at the same, like, at the same time, and like how it's shaping, that's, that's who I am. And that's okay. And so I feel like, once I made the realization that I could actually still talk about my military experience and still be a mom, and that doesn't mean that I'm not happy that I'm a mom, it's just that that's who I am, I was able to start moving forward and find like the passion to talk to other female veterans and share my experience. Which probably has helped them because then they don't feel so alone in their struggles of you know, what do I do now that I've left the military? Like, you know, especially if somebody's been in for, you know, years and years and years, that's a very integral part of who they are for anybody in the military, but especially females, because like you said, you guys kind of fall under the radar. People don't really like think it wouldn't be an automatic assumption if you're talking about the military that you're the, the one that experienced that they automatically assume that your husband was which I mean, I can't, I can't imagine how that would feel to be undervalued like that. I get that with my husband that if we were out with anybody, they're immediately asking him what he does and assumes that I don't do anything. Right. Um, but it must be even harder for you because you're like, but I did things in the military too. Right. Like I don't, I wouldn't say it's harder. It's probably equally the same. Cause I would say your frustration of not being able to tell like, what you do and having people assume oh she's military spouse she probably just stays at home all day and does nothing that's just as frustrating because I am a military spouse so I like I feel that too I know what it's like to be yeah that's that's one of the other things that I found like a passion to talk about is um what my experience is like as a military spouse because when I was in the Air Force, I didn't understand what military spouses went through. I didn't understand their struggles, and I couldn't really relate to what they were, what was going on. But now, 
now I can. Yeah. <laughs> now I know how hard it is, and I understand how much more difficult it is to move across the country when you're a military spouse instead of being a service person, and just all the different struggles. And I feel like when I can talk about those things, people can't be like, well, you don't really know. And I'm like, no, actually I do. So, yeah. so that's where I've been trying to share my experience um, to help get the stories of military spouses out as well. And I think that your experience as somebody who's been in the military is very useful for military spouses because when they might be saying certain things, you know, about how frustrated they are because of this, this, and this, you can give real life experience be like, I've been there and your spouse is not making this stuff up. It really as, is as hard as they make it out to be because I think a lot of times on the spouse's end, we don't really understand the hardships that people like our spouses that are serving the military go through like because we're not there so all we think sometimes when they're deployed all we can think about is like this sucks and like you know it's so hard here why don't they understand how hard it is but we're not understanding how hard it is on their end right I think I think it's kind of harder in a way to be a military spouse and be left behind um my husband was left behind and he was completely forgotten about because he was a male military spouse, even though he was mm -hmm. active duty. So he still had his unit, but he, he talked to me about how lonely it was to be left behind. And that was a male who was working every day in the military. And so I feel like when I deployed, I deployed with a bunch of people who were going through the exact same thing. And so there were hard things of like, the mission and all that sort of thing but I had the support network that I feel military spouses don't really get the benefit of having unless their whole unit goes but even then you're not living and working together you're at your individual houses and so yeah that's why I think it's really important for everybody to build up a support system whether somebody listening is a military spouse or not but having that support system so when she hits the fan we have people to lean on that we can talk to and i found like during my husband's deployment that was that was what helped me get through it the most for those people who are there to support me uh and who could especially it was nice to have some civilian friends who had no idea what i was going through because i didn't have to talk about it with them but it was also nice to have some military spouse friends that i could be like this is really hard and this is what i'm going through and they actually understood what right. i was going through at that time so i feel like having that tribe is really important and you just moved so how have you found your tribe I've been getting involved in different groups. Um, there's Mothers of Preschoolers, which is an international organization, and I somehow, even though I just moved, I'm on the leadership team. Um, Yay! That's how quickly I got involved. Um, so I just, I kind of just jump in and get involved, and there's a military spouse group that meets for all the spouses in this area, and I go to that, and it's once a month, and then my son started kindergarten, so then I met people at the bus stop, and then the spouse club is really good here, so they have a lot of events, and so I feel like I'm really lucky because they have such a good spouse group here that was just started in the last five years, and they do all sorts of events because a lot of people at my husband's job go TDY a lot, so there's a lot of people who are lonely or just need a break from being home alone all week and so they have events all the time and so 
I just think if you move somewhere, you have to, like, be brave and dive in. I still think it's funny that I'm on the leadership team and I just moved here. That speaks volumes about who you are as a person. Uh, so tell people who don't aren't familiar with military lingo what TDY is. Oh, TDY is, it's like a business trip. So like it could be three days or it could be six weeks. It's just a business trip. My husband's usually gone well, for his from like Monday to Friday or so his usually don't last more than a week but then he was telling me he was going on one and I was like wait that's more than four days <laughs> and he's like oh yeah it's over the weekend I was like oh that's that's a bummer well, I'm getting ready to move to Connecticut next year. So if anybody's listening and they're around Groton, Connecticut, let me know. Uh, but I, one of the things I've already done is I posted on Facebook and said, do I know anybody who is in the area or can connect me with people in the area? And I found out I know eight people already. Wow. Yeah. Well, not you all of them. Right. Uh, not all of them live there right now, but I know of two people whose spouses are also being stationed there. So, which was pretty cool. The same, I mean, mine's actually being stationed in like a couple days, but um, the kids and I are not actually moving until June. So like June, when I get there, I know people already, right? So like, I'm already going to have a network of people. And so all the things that I... I'm nervous about, I'm trying to take steps to like minimize that anxiety. And I've, I've looked up different groups that are there that I can join to meet new people and stuff like that. So I really do think that we, when we move to a new place, whether you're military or not military, you have to take those extra steps to kind of like connect with people so you can build that network. So now if you need somebody, you know, or your husband like leaves for an extended period of time, you have that network to lean on. And it's awesome that you're part of a leadership, <laughs> um, you're part of leadership in MOPS and you just moved there, which I'll link MOPS up in the show notes in case anybody's looking for something like that in their area. I know that was, I was part of a um, Mothers and Multiples Club when mine were little too. That really helped me. That helped, that helped ease my isolation for sure. So now that you've moved, because the, the Celebrate Recovery was where you used to live, how are you helping yourself now in your new place? Well, I've been trying to find a counselor, but so far it hasn't gone well. And the church that we actually found that the MOPS is at has Celebrate Recovery, but it's been really hard to go because, probably because I'm making excuses, but also with my husband traveling so much, it's on Friday nights and like he gets home on Fridays and then I don't want to go um, leave to go to... So that's been hard. And then it's also been hard with my son starting kindergarten because he's gone like all day long, um, which I was excited about until it happened. And now I'm like, can you come home? <laughs> so it's been, it's been mainly like self-focused. I've been journaling and writing and trying to, um, to, I've been reading books and stuff, but I haven't been getting like actual help. Um, but I know that I need to get a counselor. It's just been hard to connect with someone who has open availability and takes TRICARE and meets all right. the, yeah. So that's been, I thought that part would be a lot easier, but so far I haven't had any luck. So. Yeah. So a good resource, I don't know if you've used it, it's the psychologytoday.com. 
That so is what I use. It is what you use. Yay! For anybody listening that has not used it, you can actually go there and find therapists in your area and you can filter it by the insurance that they accept. Um, and also sometimes you can find people who do teletherapy. So if you can't like... Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you can't find somebody that you can go meet with, like it's not a good availability for you, some psychologists or therapists will actually do teletherapy. So you can do it kind of like we're doing, nobody can see us right now. I I forget that we're doing audio, but we're, we see each other, Amanda and I do. And so it's kind of like, that's kind of like a Skype Zoom type session that they do. So it's really cool. A lot of therapists are doing that nowadays because they understand people don't always have the time to actually go into their office to see them. Um, And I don't know if they have a fleet and family service up where you are. They have an Airman Family Readiness Center, but it's at the Pentagon, which is like... Oh, yeah. But that's, my husband's technically attached to the Pentagon. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Fleet and Family Service, I know, have uh, counselors as well. Because that's actually where I first got counseling was at Fleet and Family Service, which is a Navy thing. So uh, that's why I was like, I don't know if you guys have that up there, but you probably have something similar. like that at his office I need to look into that because I went to a spouse on call and they mentioned something like that and said it was four spouses and four husbands yes remember see I was doing it (laughs) (laughs) I do it too that's why I can't get mad when people do it but no I mean it's it's difficult though because uh, spouses were predominantly female for the longest time because women were not um a part of the military um, at least in an active role in the military. Yes, back in World War One and World War Two, they did do certain things, like there were secretaries and phone operators and stuff like that. But women actually didn't get, weren't allowed to be active duty military. And it was like what, fifty years ago? It wasn't. It hasn't been that long. That. Um, so it's still transition, but yeah, saying spouses, because I think military spouses or male military spouses get left out a lot because a lot of people don't realize there are male military spouses, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was working on an article talking about like how veteran organizations are male focused and someone had just complained about how all the females or all the military spouse stuff we do is female focused and it's like well it's run by females that's what's going to happen just like the military groups that are veterans are usually run by males so they're male focused and so how do you fix that divide um is kind of a question that i've been thinking about but i just thought it was interesting because he was like well there aren't any things for me to do and we're like well you can come <laughs> but it's the same thing as like the veterans like you're welcome it's like well, i don't really want to go drink beer in the pub with a bunch of guys that didn't sound like fun right it's going to be a transition for me so the submarine fleet my husband's on the submarine fleet they just started introducing women onto submarines like five years ago it wasn't very long ago and there's not a lot like there's only a hand not even a handful of submarines that accept women right now um and i know the one he's going to they won't have women on board while he's there but when if he does before he retires go on a submarine and there's male well i mean there might be i mean obviously we have homosexual relationships as well and marriages but i have not come across that yet where we've had any male military spouses in the submarine fleet that i've met i'm sure they're there um so that's going to be a little bit of a transition because we're used to like i you know in the family readiness groups and stuff like that that it's all female focused but now we got to realize like there is this transition, not just because women are becoming a, a greater percentage 
of the military, but because there's also, there's don't ask, don't tell was repealed. So now we have openly um, homosexual relationships in the military. So we kind of have to try to, you know, start, you know, keeping the male military spouses in mind when we're planning things and not just think pink and frilly and glitter and... (laughs) I feel bad for all those male military spouses. Like, I can't go. I don't want to win a purse. Yeah. They're like, I don't want that. I don't want to win a present for my wife. No, I know. It is, but it is a hard transition. But I think it highlights a lot of what's going on in the United States right now, where we need to start moving towards equality and stop with these stereotypes and with this discrimination that's been going on for years. And now, we're becoming more integrated as a whole that we need to start seeing it as like everybody's welcome instead of just, you know, a certain gender or race or, you know, sexual orientation that we need to come together. Um, So as we wrap up the podcast, Amanda, is there anything we didn't touch on or anything you'd like to leave the audience with? I don't think so. Did we do Did we do good? Did we cover all of the things that you wanted to talk about and share? Yes, for sure. We did. And I really want people listening to take away that not to, to give yourself grace. If you're going through something like you have Amanda, where, you know, you're dealing with these extreme emotions and emotions aren't and feelings are not bad things. There's no bad or good. It's how we react to those emotions, that that's where it becomes a good or bad thing. So if you see that you're feeling these emotions and you're reacting in a negative manner, that there might be time to get help. And there's lots of different ways. I'm going to link up Celebrate Recovery in the show notes for anybody who's interested so they can check that out because it helped you so much that perhaps it will help somebody that's listening as well. Yes. Yes. And we had you didn't have to be a faith-based person. We actually had a person who didn't believe in God and would like openly say that, but she was welcome. And that's what the program's about. It's not about like teaching you about God. It's about like helping yourself and helping you find that support that you need. Yeah. I'm glad you said that too, because some people that might be hesitant for, or some people listening might hesitate to seek out that organization because of that. But I'm glad you said that. The same goes for Al-Anon and AA. Yeah, they do have a lot of faith um, based things that they, they use, but it is for everybody. And I've known lots of people who are not faith-based that have used those services as well that have found so much help. My grandfather is actually a recovering or recovered alcoholic he hasn't drank in, uh, I don't know, like 40 years. It's been a long time. And my grandmother used to use Al-Anon when, she, when he was going through AA. And I know it helped them a lot. And she's told me some really crazy stories about how she's helped out. She helped hide another woman in her family because her husband was going to kill them. And it was just insane. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she's like, we were like a family. We, we helped each other out. Mm-hmm. And she, she was like, even though your grandfather was trying to help this guy get sober, we knew that he was a danger to himself and his family. And so she, Al-Anon, helped um, hide this family. And he ended up yeah, taking his own life. But um, luckily, the family is still alive because they did right. that. So they really tried as a family to help each other. Um, so I really, I think those kind of organizations can be really helpful. So I'm glad that you mentioned that you don't have to be faith-based to actually utilize these kind of services. Right. They can be very helpful. I agree. 
And I hope people will use psychology today if they want to um, look up anything like that, because that can, or if they want to look up a therapist, I'm obviously huge mental health advocate. I think it's, I, I, I actually have a belief that everybody at some point in time in their life should see a therapist because we all have stuff that we've been through that we haven't quite uh, been able to work through and that we kind of, this baggage that we're carrying along with ourselves that we need to be able to 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 get through and i'm so glad to see that you noticed that and you went and and sought out help because i know how hard that could be yeah it's really hard and i agree i think everybody has something that they i mean maybe you're handling it okay so that you i feel like one thing you learn about in, in recovery program is that like you make it so that you can like keep functioning and then you eventually get to a point where you can't, but you can get help while you're still functioning normal and like your life is so much better. There's, there's what you've experienced on a day-to-day basis isn't actually probably what it should be if you're not getting help because nobody's perfect. Your parents weren't perfect. So the life experiences you had from other people shape you and it's not, it's never perfect. You can always get help. I agree 100%. I feel like I mess up my kids a little bit every day. So. <laughs> exactly, yes. Like, don't remember this. Don't remember this. Right. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspire Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspire Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.